was provided from. God fed them supernaturally. Water flowing from a rock. Supernatural provision. God wants to feed us supernaturally. He wants to give us the bread of the word. He wants to give us the water of the spirit. It's all there in the Old Testament, by the way, a prophetic sign of what was going to come in the New Testament. And we're in a season where I think actually the church has been set free. It's been having a generation where people saw the supernatural power of God at work. They saw the miraculous provision of God. They saw the, the, the word of God, the bread of heaven as it were, feeding people with new power and they saw the supernatural provision of the water of the Holy Spirit. We've had a generation where actually that is not something new. We had charismatic renewal, as we might want to call it. It started, what, late 60s, early 70s, and swept across this nation. And, and now, that is something which is a generation old. It's not a new thing. And so talk of the supernatural is, is not something that's new. And so we've lived in that for a generation. And I've been very, very privileged. As I say, uh, my church keeps sending me off to different places around the world. I've not got the hint yet. Um, often they send me to war zones. I'm not I quite, quite like that one out. <laughs> so I've seen God working incredibly powerful ways. I've seen miracles. What's a miracle? A miracle is something that can't happen naturally. can't be described any other way um, but a miracle. So uh, I've seen the supernatural multiplication of bread. Who was on the men's weekend? Why is the lady's hand up? Um, <laughs> uh, I think I told this story while we were away. Um, forgive me if you've heard it before. But I was in somewhere, thank you, Uganda, and uh, I, I'd been taken to, <laughs> that's why I brought Rachel, um, <laughs> I, I'd been taken to a, 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 an orphanage and we were going to feed 200 children with bread cakes, great big bread cakes, and there were a number of children in the orphanage, uh, very cool, there was a number of children in the orphanage and uh, they were fed well, but there was a lot of other children who, who were walking maybe three, four hours to come on a Sunday and receive these bread cakes because it would be the only meal they got in a week. And so we bought 200 bread cakes on the way to the orphanage. And when we got there, I'm not very good at maths, but I could see immediately there was a lot more than 200 children there. And my best estimate was about 500. And so the, the, the lady that ran the orphanage said to the children, she got them all sat down on the ground, and she said, children, children, we have some good news and some bad news. She said, the good news is that we've brought bread for you. And the children cheered, and she said, but the bad news? She says, there's way too many of you. We do not have enough food for all of you. I will never, ever forget the look on their faces when, when they'd walked for maybe three hours, and they were told that there was not enough food for them. And she says, but there's some more good news. She says, there is a pastor here from England and he's going to do like Jesus did. He is going to pray over the bread and it will be multiplied and there will be enough for everybody. And the children were cheering. I was getting really excited. about Where is this guy? And then I realised who she was talking about so I prayed my favourite prayer. Jesus, help! It's a good prayer. You can remember that one. And so I said to her, I've got a great idea. You know, sometimes God gives you wisdom, doesn't he? I said, let's break them in half and give the children half each. I have never been so rebuked in my life. No, she said. Where is your faith, man? So right now, I haven't got any. But I thought, well, let's do what Jesus did. He held the bread up in the air. He gave thanks. Remember that Jesus gave thanks before he saw the miracle. We're very good at thanking afterwards. That's not called faith. It's called relief. So I lifted the bread high and I said, thank you for the miracle of provision. And I had absolutely
no faith whatsoever. But God did. And we fed every one of those 500 children with a bread cake each. Then we collected them up. And we had bagfuls left over. And I looked at it and I said to the lady with me, I said, it looks like we've got more than we started with. She says, I thought that. She says, let's go find another orphanage. Oh, here we go, me and my big mouth. So we drove and we found another orphanage that was having an open day. So there's children and their parents there. uh, And there was about 300 people there. Now, we've just fed 500 people with 200 bread cakes, and we fed another 300 people at the second orphanage. That's 800. My maths is getting better. So we fed them, and we collected up several bags full, and there was even more than we started with. So we went to a third orphanage where there were 500 people, and we fed all of them with the bread cakes. That's 1,300 people with 200 bread cakes. And when we finished, we collected up seven bread cakes left. And there were seven people on the team. Isn't God good? Let's give him glory. (laughs) Friends, that's what you call a miracle. I couldn't do that. I have no power to do that. And God left me with no doubt whatsoever that that was him. And it also left nobody else any doubt. That couldn't have been me. So God gets the glory. That's why I like miracles. If you just do something that's really good, people can say, aren't you marvellous? Which is nice, and it sort of massages your ego somewhat, but isn't it so much better when God does something that is so incredible that there's no way it could have been you? Because then he gets the glory. And, And that's what a miracle is. So then all of a sudden I was full of faith. And I'd been told I was due to fly into Sudan um, before it divided into two nations and it was still a war zone. And I was due to fly there under the radar because they wouldn't give me a visa and there's there's still an arrest warrant out for me in Sudan. So I had to go in carefully. Have you heard of open doors? So I was going in with open doors. And uh, uh, I was suddenly told, your flight's early tomorrow morning and you need two passport-sized photographs. I thought, why am I going to get those on a Sunday afternoon in Kampala? So I asked my guide, where am I getting those from? He said, well, you're not. You don't get those on a Sunday afternoon. And by the way, we're in the middle of a city-wide power cut. So I said, not a problem. I'm full of faith. Take me to a photo booth. So on the back of a motorbike, off we go, riding down a a railway line until we find the city centre. And then we, we drive around and we find a photo booth. Absolute blackout in the entire city. No electricity anywhere. And there's this photo machine that's not even plugged in. It's just on a footpath. Remember the old sort of 1960s, 1970s photo machines that you used to sit in with the... the, the, the you won't remember. That's not well. <laughs> with the curtain and uh, you'd put your money in, you'd press the button, you'd go and have dinner for three and come back about a month later and eventually they'd, they'd come out. You remember those? It was one of those. And uh, I, there was this very pleasant Muslim gentleman that was standing by the machine and I explained to him I needed these photographs and I needed them fast. And he said, well, it's not going to happen. There's no electricity. So I said to him, not a problem. My God is the God that gave people the ability to generate electricity. He will give us enough power to make your machine work. By now, there's about 30 people gathered. My faith is sky high at this point because I'd seen a miracle earlier in the day. So I said, all I'm going to do is I am going to ask my God to give us power for your machine. I laid hands on a photo booth. How mad is that? I sat inside this machine, a black and white machine, and I shouted to the man with great authority, because if you shout, you have more authority. I shouted out, press the button now! And this shaking hand came in. He pressed the button, instantly four flashes, and instantly four colour pictures. 
came out of a black and white machine that wasn't plugged in. So I then get out of the machine and this man looks at the pictures, looks at me, turns to the crowd and says, I now follow Jesus. You see, that's what miracles are for. They point people to God. He gets the glory. He gets the glory. That man doesn't even know what my name is. But I bet that that man really knows that Jesus is real because he saw the miraculous, supernatural power of God. Can his God do that? Let's not get into that one. There's this beautiful verse. Did I actually read this? No, I don't think I did. got sidetracked. From Joshua 18, verse 3. When at the end of this time of the people of God wandering around in the desert, they've seen the supernatural power of God, they've seen the miraculous provision of God, and yet they haven't taken hold of the fullness of the promises of God. And, and we have as a church, we being the church of Jesus Christ worldwide, we have seen the miracles, we've seen healings, we've seen signs and wonders, and that's great! Hallelujah. I, I love when people get healed. I love when there's prophetic words given. There's words of knowledge. I love when there's miracles. It all gives glory to God. I love all of that stuff. But there's more. And, and the people of Israel have wandered around for 40 years in the wilderness and eventually they get to the edge of what God really promised them. The promised land wasn't just a home for them to settle down in. The promised land, we're told, was a land flowing with milk and honey. It was a place where actually there was meant to be abundance. And it was a place that they were supposed to take hold of. To take hold of the promises of God. God had promised them so much for generations. He promised to their forefathers that they would dwell. They would dwell in a land of plenty. And the church of Jesus Christ has preached a poverty gospel for too long. We, we've preached this nonsense that actually if you're a Christian you're meant to be poor and miserable. And the more miserable you can look, the more people you're going to attract to God. Because it's holy. Well, if you're walking around looking like you've been baptised in lemon juice, how many people do you think are going to look at you and say, I want what you've got? Instead, they're going to look at you and say, oh, you must be a Christian. Because that's what so many Christians do, don't they? They look like they've, you know, been smacked. We should be those that were so full of the joy of the Lord because we've got good news. We've got the greatest news there is. We've got the only answer to the world's problems. And, and the church has sort of generated this message that we're meant to be miserable because they call it holy. Well, my Jesus was holy, but I don't ever get the impression that he was miserable. He's got a great sense of humour, by the way. Just read the Gospels. It's wonderful. And so I believe what we've got, my time up, I believe what we've got, <laughs> you're right Jack, nobody's noticed, <laughs> I believe what we've got is a promise from God of more, a promise of more. And the people of Israel, they'd seen the supernatural provision of God, they'd seen the deliverance of God, they'd been set free, but they hadn't yet taken hold of the promises of the fullness of what God has for them. So my question to you is, what has God promised you? What has he promised you as a church and what has he promised you as an individual? And, and have you taken hold of it? And there's this incredible verse. Here, we've got that. That was all an introduction, by the way. Don't worry. 18 verse 3, Joshua 18 verse 3. Joshua said to the Israelites, How long will you wait 
before you begin to take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has given you. You have been in the land now for quite a while. They'd seen breakthroughs in the land. They'd taken Jericho. They'd taken several cities. They'd taken possession of part of the land. Everybody in the land was terrified of them because they knew that the Lord was with them. And yet they still, even though they were in the land, did not take hold of the land. Do you know it's possible to be in a place of spiritual blessing and not receive a spiritual blessing? It is possible to be in a meeting where there are healings and miracles and signs and wonders and not receive anything from God. And it happens so often. I've been in meetings where I've stood there and I've looked around at people dropping like flies and people rolling around on the floor laughing because they're so full of the joy of the Lord. People getting healed. People getting words of knowledge. People, someone on the platform, you know when they do that and I've got a word and they look around the room and they point to someone and I'm thinking, oh, you know, and, and not received a thing. And everybody else in the room seems to be blessed. And I go home miserable thinking, mm, didn't get anything. And sometimes I have to examine my heart. I think, actually, God was there. Did I choose to take hold of it? And so often, Joshua was saying to the people, you're in the land of promise. But you're not taking possession of it. How long, he said, until you take hold of that which God has promised to you. Jesus said the kingdom is within your reach. Take hold of it. And I believe that we are living in days where actually God is saying, would you take hold of that which I've made available to you? Take hold of the fullness. Don't don't just take hold of a bit. Because we're all frightfully English, aren't we? Just have a little bit. That's not the God of abundance. There is enough for you to take everything and everybody else to do the same. And if God says to me, take hold of everything in heaven's storehouses, that doesn't mean you go without. There's this attitude in so many churches of, oh, God's terribly busy. And and my prayers are far, far, far too small and insignificant for him to be bothered with me. No! That's a lie of the enemy! All of the resources of heaven, all of the promises of God are yes and amen. Everything is available to you and to me. I just want to tell you one more story. And this is from Luke 15. You know the story well. This is the story of the prodigal son. You know that the prodigal son, he he grew up in a, a very wealthy upbringing. He grew up on his father's farm and we know he was wealthy because the father had not only got the two sons, but he got loads and loads of hired staff. This was a, a successful businessman. And his son really was, you know, lap of luxury. He could have had anything he wanted. But as he grew up, the son looked around and thought, you know what, there's a world out there that I want to go and enjoy. There's so many things that seem nice out there. There's so many things that seem attractive. And I wanted to experience them. I want to experience all that the world has to offer. So he went to his, his father and said, Dad, this is my paraphrase. Dad, it doesn't look like you're going to die anytime soon. So I, you know, I'm going to have to wait ages to get my inheritance. And that's just not good. So would you mind awfully if you gave me my inheritance now? You know, Dad, that, that you've worked for all your life and I've done nothing to earn. Would you give that to me now? 
Because actually, I, I don't want to wait until you die. I want to enjoy it while I'm young enough to be able to have fun. And in his grace, the father says, of course, let me get my checkbook. How many of us would do that? <laughs> and he says, Here, here's, here's half of everything. Go enjoy yourself. And, and by the way, don't forget, son, if it doesn't work out, if you don't find what you're looking for, I'm always here for you. And off he goes. And he goes to find as many nightclubs and prostitutes and fast cars and cell phones as he possibly can. That's the modern version. And he's got loads of friends. He is surrounded by friends. He is the most popular person in the bar. I used to be a DJ many years ago. I know, it's hard to believe. In the late 90s. No, late 80s. Gosh, I'm older than I thought. In the late 80s, I was a DJ and... Uh, in fact, I still to this day have never earned as much money as I did when I was a DJ. And uh, I used to charge £1,800 an hour. Yes, you heard me right. And I always got paid in cash. Is there any accountants in the room? Any taxmen in the room? <laughs> I always got paid in cash. And I remember one particular evening, I think I'd got about £4,500 that I'd been paid um, in cash. And I went to a nightclub. I was so popular. I had everybody in that nightclub was my friend. I bought most people in the nightclub at least three drinks. And they were queuing up to be my friend. I, I loved it. It was wonderful. About six o'clock in the morning... The money ran out. I'd spent the lot. I spent £4,500 that night. And all of a sudden, those friends, I think they must have got tired or something. They, they all disappeared. And I, I lived like that for a while. Yeah, and I, I seemed to buy friends and then lose them just as quickly when the money ran out. And that's what the prodigal son was doing. And when the money ran out, so did the friendships. The fact the friendships went out the door almost as quickly as the money did. And suddenly he got nothing. He got no relationships of any depth to fall back upon. He got no friendships, no family that were around him. He was utterly alone. And he hadn't established a network of loving people around him that we call the church. So when the crisis moment came, he suddenly knew what it meant to be totally alone. And he was desperate, eating pig's swill, which for a Jew, understand the significance of that. And then eventually he came to his senses and said, I'll go home. And you know the story. He came home and the father had been looking out for him every single day. And the father sees this silhouette in the distance. And the father pulls up his clothing and runs. That was undignified. And a man of that standing never did that, by the way. A poor person would run, but a man who was dignified would walk slowly. And to pull up his robes so that his knees were visible and to run, that was to lower and humble himself. And he wanted to get through the village to his son before anybody else could get there and humiliate the boy. He wanted to embrace him. And when he saw the son, even though he was in a disheveled and stinky state, he put a cloak around him which says, actually, this is your identity. You're not defined or identified by the things that you've done wrong or the things that other people have done to you. You are defined by the fact that I put this robe around you and says, this is who you are. And he put sandals on his feet because actually he was picking up all sorts of dirt from the road. You know what the pollution was in those days? It wasn't carbon monoxide, it was camel poo. And he was picking up all this pollution as he walked along. And so the father said, let me clean you up. 
Let me clean you up from the stuff you've picked up as you've walked through the journey of life. And he put sandals on his feet. And he put a ring of identity and authority upon his finger and said, this is who you are. And he put his arm around him and he led him through the village so that no one would dare to accuse him. That's what Father does. Despite the stuff that happens to us in life, despite the things that we do, he comes running and he embraces us and he puts his identity upon us and he puts clean shoes on our feet and he puts a ring of authority on our finger and he leads us through the rest of our journey home so that no one can accuse us. Isn't that beautiful? And then he gets home and he says, let's find the fattened calf. Let's have a banquet. Let's celebrate this son of mine who was dead but now is alive. He was lost but now is found. Let's have a party. And so the party is in full swing. You can imagine the joy, the celebration in that party. All except for one. The older brother. And during the evening the father goes to him and says, Son, I've noticed that you're not particularly enjoying the party. Why do you think I'm not enjoying the party? That reprobate, sorry I wasn't pointing at anybody over there, that reprobate that you call a son of yours has gone off and squandered everything that you've worked hard for, he hasn't done a day's work in his life and you've lavished this party on him, what have you ever done for me? And the father just says to him, son, do do you not understand that you have been with me this whole time? Everything Everything I own is yours. But you never chose to take hold of it. Everything. The fattened calf, you could have had that at any time. You could have had a banquet at any time. We could have had a celebration at any time. But you'd never realised that it was yours for the asking. You just thought you'd got to work for it, but you haven't. You've just got to take hold of it. And you know, it's called the story of the prodigal son. But I actually think Jesus was trying to tell two stories there. And we only seem to talk about the younger son, the older son, who missed out on everything that the father had offered to him. And when Joshua says to the people of Israel, how long before you choose to take hold of that which is rightfully yours, he is speaking to the older son. And I believe that God is saying to the church, Church of Jesus Christ, how long before you choose to take hold of that which God has for you? How long before you realize that you're no longer enslaved in Egypt, you're no longer wandering around in the wilderness, you're now dwelling in the land of promise. This is a season where I believe the church of Jesus Christ is dwelling in the land of promise. But so many people don't realize everything that is there for the asking. All, all of the resources of heaven the storehouses of heaven are ours because we're children of the Most High God. And he says, what is mine is yours. Jesus died to make this available to you. You know, if I was, um, if I was the father in the story of the prodigal son, it would break my heart if my son didn't take hold of everything that was available to him. I would want, I would want my children to benefit from everything that I was making available to them. And I genuinely believe that Father God wants us to benefit from everything that he's made available to us. How long till you take hold of the fullness of the promises of God that he's made to you? What has God promised to you? 
what is it the Father has promised you? I believe there's some people in the room this evening who know that God spoke a promise over them many, many years ago and they haven't seen the fulfillment of it. And sometimes we sit back and we wait and say, oh, how long, Lord, till you fulfill that prayer? I believe what God is saying to some of you is I'm waiting for you to act. I'm waiting for you to act. Any of you ever seen the film Indiana Jones and the, the, um, the first one? And the something of something? There's an incredible scene in that where Indy is in a cave and he's got to get across a ravine and there's just this, this pit that seems to be bottomless and it's too far to jump and he knows he's got to get across. But there's an invisible bridge. It's, I think it's called the Leap of Faith, that scene. And he actually takes a bit of sand and he throws it and where the sand lands you can see that actually there's an invisible bridge there. You know, the, the first thing about faith is you've got to take a step. You know, when I can see that there's a platform here to stand upon, that's not called faith, that's called knowledge. That's called experience. But if I were to step out and trust that there's going to be an invisible bridge there, when I look, it looks as if there's not going to be anything there. That's what faith's about. And sometimes what we've got to do is take a step of faith. If God has said to you and made a promise to you, I tell you, he will never ever go back on his promises. So if you know God has promised you something, friends, it's time to step out in that. If God has promised you that you are going to have a particular gift of the Holy Spirit and you're waiting for it, step out in it. If God has promised you that you're going to receive the gift of of healing, to heal the sick and pray for people and see them miraculously healed, don't wait until you get like a warm, fuzzy feeling thinking, oh, now I've got it. Step out in it. The number of people who uh, I've prayed for to receive, let's think of the, the gift of tongues, who say, well, nothing's happened yet. I say, well, have you opened your mouth and started? No. I was just waiting for it to happen. At least meet God halfway and open your mouth. I believe, by the way, that every single person we pray for to receive the gift of tongues, that's one of those gifts. I believe God gives that gift to every single person that asks for it. I've never yet had someone that I've prayed for that hasn't received it. I've prayed for dozens of people that haven't started using it yet but I don't believe I've ever prayed for someone that hasn't received it. Same with the gift of faith. There are some gifts that I believe are for absolutely everybody. But sometimes we don't step out in them and start to use them. And I believe what God is wanting to do this evening is challenge us. I'm speaking to myself as much as anybody else. Challenge us to step out in faith, to step up and step out. What is it that God is calling you to do? In in your workplace, in your colleges, in your schools, in your neighbourhood, what is it he's calling you to do? What gifts of the Holy Spirit is he calling, causing, calling you, got there in the end, calling you to step out in? What is it that he's promised you? Some of you, I believe, he's promised you all sorts of things. He might be promising you a calling upon your life. And some of you, I think, are waiting for that. How long will you wait for it? How long will you wait for it? Before you take hold of it? And some of you are waiting for a miracle. I believe there's a number of you who are waiting for a miracle. It might be for physical healing. It might be for a breakthrough in provision from God. I believe there's a number of people in the room this evening who are waiting for the fulfilment of something they believe God has promised them. How long will you wait before you take hold of it? Because God is not short of cash. If you need a miracle of breakthrough, this isn't a prosperity gospel, by the way. I don't believe in that nonsense. But I believe in a God who wants to prosper us. That's a different thing. God isn't short. If you need provision, then trust him for the breakthrough. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And in heaven, there is no sickness. 
In heaven there is no sin. In heaven there is no suffering. And I want to live as a citizen of that kingdom in the here and now. Jesus taught us to pray, as in heaven, so on earth. That's, that's what life in the land of promise looks like. Striving every single day. Actually, not striving, that's the wrong word. Living every single day in the fullness of the abundance of God's blessings. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to become perfect overnight. It doesn't mean that we're going to see every single person we pray for healed. But I do know this. If we don't pray for people, they're not going to be healed. But if we pray for people, some of them will be healed. People are not going to be blessed unless we reach out and and reach out to them with the love of Jesus. Lay hands on them and pray blessing upon them. And it's time for faith to be stirred up, I believe. And I think what's happening is God is preparing the bride for the return of the bridegroom. Because Jesus is coming back again. But before he comes back, I believe that there is going to be an end-timed revival, the likes of which the world has never seen. And there is a stirring that is happening in churches around the nation and around Europe and around the world. Christianity is officially the fastest growing faith anywhere in the world. God is on the move. What an exciting time to be alive. And I believe God is calling us to say yes and amen to everything that he has for us. To reach out and take hold of the promises of God. And then to step out and trust him. To give us the faith we need to see the fulfillment of the promises of God in our lives. Amen? Amen.